Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brand. I'm a certified functional medicine practitioner and a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Today, we're talking about how your diet, your nutrition, and your blood sugar can affect and weaken your adrenals. This is a big factor. I know a lot of people are going on ketogenic diets, maybe even full carnivore diets, and many people are having issues being chronically low carb with their diet. And this is a rabbit hole I fell into personally, and I've seen clinically countless times. I went very, very low carb. I felt better on low carb, as many people with candida and gut infections and mold do. The problem is if you do this long-term, there can be some implications with the adrenals. So I do think cycling in some honey, some berries, maybe some starch and some sweet potatoes, and maybe some rice, organic white rice, if you can tolerate it, are great strategies. So that's kind of some of the things that just came off the top of my head of this episode, but of course we dive deeper into this. In regards to your adrenals, what do I recommend to support your adrenals? Well, ongoing, I take many things, but in particular, I have one product I'd recommend you look into which is my adaptogen tonic, adaptogen tonic. That is on my website, auraroots.com. We'll have the link in the show notes, but adaptogen tonic is a blend that I've used for years. This is something clinically we've taken with people and we've brought them out of the depths of hell, literally. I mean, people that just literally couldn't get out of bed, literally people that were taking naps every day and they could not perform as a spouse, a CEO, a business owner, whatever they needed to do, they couldn't do it. And simply supporting the adrenals is one of those steps while you're working on some of the nutritional strategies, the gut, the detox, everything else that we do. So check out Adaptogen Tonic. Get yourself a bottle. I hope you enjoy it. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Start slow. Work your way up. Report back. This is something that would be a good broad spectrum, meaning if you don't have, which I don't even run these unless people beg me to anymore because adaptogens are great. They help the body regulate cortisol. But what I was going to say is if you don't have an adrenal profile to look at and base your supplement off of, that's okay. Something like this formula, the way we've designed it, it's not too stimulatory where it would take someone with elevated cortisol and make it worse. This is a very good broad spectrum formula that's going to help calibrate the adrenals regardless of where they are. So that's why I love these particular adaptogens because of these properties. So adaptogen tonic, get you some, try it out. I think you'll love it. If you need help clinically, book that free call at my site, evanbrand.com slash free. I would love to um, speak and hear what you got going on. So Megan will chat with you. She'll give you a call. And then if you end up booking a call with me or her, we'll be happy to help either way. And then please join me on my Instagram page. Look up Mr. like MR, Mr. Evan Brand on Instagram. Follow me there. I'm not deleted. I still exist there. There is some censorship going on, but so far they haven't deleted me. So check me out. Love to have you there. I do polls. I do some live videos. I do Q&As. I do a lot of fun things. I like to really interact with you all there. So come check me out. Love to have you join the party. And then last thing, I know I'm giving you like several action steps, but this one's important. Due to the censorship and everything going on, I think it is important that you are on my email newsletter in case I get deleted from these platforms. So evanbrand.com, you go to the bottom, you'll see an opt-in box there. Join the best functional medicine tribe. Put your email in there. I'm not going to spam you. I'm just going to promote cool things to you, summits, events, other things that I think you should care about. That's what I'll be sending you and also some things that I might get censored for other places I can still send via email. So make sure you're on the list. We've got over 135, approaching 140,000 people on the email list. It's a very strong tribe and I'm very grateful to have you all part of the journey. All right, so that's it. Enjoy the podcast. 
And we are live. It's Dr. J here in the house with Evan Brand. Today, we have an awesome podcast topic on the queue here. We're going to be chatting about how your blood sugar can weaken and negatively impact your adrenal glands. We're going to be talking about blood sugar, how it affects your immune system, um, how it makes you either strong or weak. We'll be talking about nutrients, supplement changes that you can do to help with that, as well as diet and lifestyle changes. So I'm excited to dive into this topic. This is a relevant topic that we are applying and seeing with our patients every day, especially ones that have adrenal issues or adrenal and cortisol imbalances. So really excited to chat about this. Evan, what's happening today, man? Hey, not too much. Let's dive right in. So let's set the stage for people. This is a conversation that maybe didn't happen historically. We didn't have the chronic... 99% of the time we're stressed and 1% of the time we take a vacation. We didn't have that kind of lifestyle historically. And so I think now you were kind of talking about this with me before we hit record. The average person is just so toxic. They're so stressed. They're sleep deprived. They're on stimulants like caffeine and they're having these spikes and crashes all throughout the day. Pretty much everyone is on both a stress roller coaster, but they're also on this blood sugar roller coaster too. And that really affects the adrenals over time. So that's where I want to set the stage with people is that we're in a society that's doing quick fixes. When we feel a blood sugar crash, we go and we eat the organic cookie. Now it's an organic cookie instead of an Oreo, or it's a gluten-free cookie instead of an Oreo, but it's still a cookie, and then you end up crashing again. So I want to set the stage of even though you could be doing paleo or a similar diet, a lot of people are still having issues with blood sugar regulation, and we think adrenals is is one big part of it, which is then connected to the gut. So really, we could make this thing like a three-hour episode, but we're going to try to condense it to half an hour. Absolutely. So let's kind of do like an adrenal blood sugar kind of 101 physiology review for people just kind of coming into this. So your adrenal glands produce a hormone called cortisol, right? Which is a glucocorticosteroid, big word, right? The first half of that word is gluco, meaning it helps pertain to blood sugar and energy. And so the more your blood sugar perturbates goes up and down, the more hormones have to be produced to buffer the highs and lows. So the more we keep our hormones snaking along or we keep our blood sugar, let's say in this example, snaking along or stress snaking along throughout the day without big up and down spikes, our hormones are called to the rescue far less. So if I eat, let's say one, I'm not eating at all. Let's say I'm fasting, right? And I'm not really good at being fat adapted. Your blood sugar is going to drop. And when your blood sugar drops, that creates a stress response. The first thing that happens on this low blood sugar drop is going to be a spike of epinephrine or or adrenaline, right? So epinephrine or adrenaline is like the key catalyst to wake up and call cortisol. So you get this epinephrine or adrenaline or catecholamine surge. Again, they are all the same thing. You have epinephrine, norepinephrine. You have adrenaline, you have noradrenaline. You have catecholamines, they're all the exact same thing, same name, they're just meant to confuse people. So just kind of put that out there. If I use these words, they're 100% interchangeable, okay? So you're gonna have this surge in adrenaline and that's gonna bring up your blood sugar. When it brings that blood sugar up, this is when you may feel anxious, heart palpitations, this is maybe when you get a little bit dizzy, nervous, sleepless, irritable, right, sweating, you know, so when you start to ha- when you're on this blood sugar roller coaster, when this blood sugar drops and it starts to come back up, you may have symptoms that m- make you not feel that well. And so then, of course, what comes up after that adrenaline surge is then cortisol is now going to help bring it up the rest of the way. So think of um, adrenaline as the it's the 
it's the first responder, right? It's, it's the person on the operator line getting the police ready to come to your home. And then the police, they come 10, 20 minutes later. That's cortisol, okay? They come a little bit later to the show. And so that's important. So when you understand your physiology, that's, that's good. The next component is when your blood sugar goes back up on the high side, that's where you make a whole bunch of insulin. And so insulin can make you feel tired. It can make you feel fatigued. Insulin activates a lot of lipogenesis. That's fat storing. Lipo meaning fat, genesis creating. And so when you start to have, when you're on a blood sugar roller coaster of high to low blood sugar, okay, this creates this high level of insulin, a lot of lipogenesis that creates fatigue. And then of course, when you have a high level of insulin, that brings your blood sugar back down because insulin's opening up the cells, trying to get blood sugar into the cells to either burn it or store it. And if you're not active and your cells are already full of glycogen, and you're not actively doing something like walking or running or lifting, guess what? Your body then shunts and partitions that fuel into the storing phase. So if you're active, great, you'll burn it. If you have muscles that have glycogen storage, you'll convert it to glycogen, which is glucose storage, sugar storage. And if those two capacities are, are tapped, then we start going to fat storage. It starts going more to lipogenesis. So we're on this blood sugar roller coaster. So high blood sugar up, High blood sugar up, a lot of insulin drops it down, right? Then we have this, you know, this really high drop, high to low drop. This then stimulates a lot of adrenaline, catecholamines, and then cortisol in the up. This is called reactive hypoglycemia. And then the other type of glycemia issue that we're going to see is going to be usually fasting too much, not eating enough, low calorie diets, skipping meals. That's more like this. That's your blood sugar is like this and it just starts to drop into this hypo category, you know, maybe below 75. One goes up first, that's the reactive. It's reacting, going high and then dropping. That's reactive hypoglycemia. That's typically gonna happen due to poor diet, too much sugar, too much carbs, not enough protein, not enough fat. And then we have just general run of the mill hypoglycemia, usually from poor meal timing, skipping meals, too much fasting, typically low calorie dieting. And again, if you're doing a lot of intermittent fasting, but you're low calorie in general throughout the day, that can easily drive low blood sugar too. Wow. Well said. So the average American, they're experiencing more reactive hypoglycemia because they're on the sodas, they're on the yes. Milky Way bar and hiding in their desk drawer at lunch. The person listening to us, who's hopefully relatively dialed in, they're going to just be more in the standard. We would just call it, to us, maybe a standard hypoglycemia situation. And then how do the adrenals play into that? Because what you're seeing is happening is that, let's say, and this happened to me, I can tell you firsthand what happened, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of open it up. So intermittent fasting, you're saying that could could drive that. And you're saying there, you're kind of hinting at the fact that maybe the adrenals are too weak to help. You're saying the uh, adrenaline can be released and it'll crank it up. But you're saying in a normal situation, the hypoglycemia can start to happen. Adrenaline should come up, kind of bump you up, give you the little nitrous booster, but you then you need cortisol to push you to the finish yep. line. But you're saying in a case of adrenal stress, the cortisol may not be able to get you up to the right amount. And that's how an intermittent fasting situation could be not good for you. Is that right? Yeah. So then if you don't have good adrenaline output or catecholamine output, like, so how do we know that as we look at organic acids, if we see imbalances in vanillamandelate or homovanillate, these are amino acids that are precursors for dopamine and adrenaline. And again, dopamine is a precursor to adrenaline. So when you're constantly stimulating adrenaline, you're actually pulling dopamine down and dopamine is really important for satisfaction, mood, focus, right? 
So if you're chronically stimulating adrenaline, you're gonna have adrenaline issues, you're gonna have dopamine issues, that can create a whole bunch of problems. We're gonna know that because we're gonna see an organic acid test showing a lot of imbalances in those catecholamines. And if our blood sugar, uh, if we, are, we have very low cortisol, we run a, a good quality Dutch test, we see chronically low free and total cortisol, it's gonna be hard for our body to bring that blood sugar back up and we can kind of stay a little bit more hypo and that can cause that irritability, that faintness, that fatigue, uh, cognitive issues, mood issues, brain fog, it can create all those problems. So if we don't have good, when people talk about adrenals, people mostly just think about cortisol when it comes to adrenals. They don't think about the adrenaline, catecholamine, dopamine connection. And so when we talk about adrenals, we have to really look at the outer part of the adrenals. That's the cortex. That's where cortisol lives. That's where aldosterone lives because we'll talk about it in a minute. Aldosterone plays a big role with minerals and holding on to minerals. And if our minerals go low, like we see in POTS, right, which is a postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome that has to do with minerals being low, sodium, chloride, potassium, right? That can create a lot of symptoms similar to hypoglycemia. And so we have to look at the uh, the cortisol component, but also the adrenaline. The adrenaline tends to happen more in the medulla, medulla M for more middle part of the adrenal gland. So it's good to look at both. And that's where having a high quality adrenal test that looks at free and total cortisol, as well as an adrenaline, dopamine, via the organic acids to look at what's happening with the catecholamines and neurotransmitters. So how would this work? Let's say if you weren't doing intermittent fasting, let's say you switched off of that. Maybe you were having these hypoglycemia episodes, the adrenals were too weak to give you the cortisol output you wanted. So instead of intermittent fasting, now you're just doing like a carnivore breakfast. Maybe you're going to do a grass-fed steak, or maybe you're going to do some pastured eggs or some pastured bacon. Is that enough to pull you out of that? Or are you going to need some support? Would you recommend we throw in like little bit of honey, some blueberries, you know, uh, maybe something else to pull you out of that spike. Like is meat, is meat enough, I guess is the simple question. So what happens with proteins that you're consuming, it, your body is going to be able to one, it's going to be keto adapted. But again, not everyone's keto adapted. You have to be metabolically flexible to be keto adapted where you can actually take a lot of the fat, right? You have a glycerol and a free fatty acid and, and you, you're able to break that down pull off some ketones and start burning more fat for fuel, a lot of people just can't transition to that because they're very metabolically inflexible. And so protein and fat's not gonna be a viable source unless someone's really dialed their diet in for two to four weeks and really had that metabolic adaptation. Now, some people, their, their insulin levels just drop too low. And let's say maybe below four or so, or even below two on a fasting insulin test. They may need more carbohydrate and Again, if, if they've been doing the diet for a month and, they're, and they're, they're having good proteins and good fats at every meal and maybe their carbs are really low, we may want to add a little bit more starch in because sometimes they feel better doing that because it actually blunts the cortisol spike or the adrenaline spike that the body is trying to create to mobilize that glucose. So it's like we can add a little bit more carbs in via a healthy, safe starch and that blunts some of the cortisol and the adrenaline that's being produced to mobilize that internally. Some people, their insulin levels are really high, and by keeping the carbs super low, they're bringing their insulin back into the sweet spot, and they're actually good. And then when they add more carbs, and they actually feel worse because their insulin's going out of balance, and they're starting to get more into fat storage mode. So most people, I find, tend to be more on the insulin resistant side, so I always default to lower carbohydrate out of the gates, and then fine-tune later once they kind of hit the wall. And you know, a good way to, to see how, you know if you're hitting the wall or not is, um, so get, get to a place where you've been doing it for a month or two, make sure your body's pretty good at burning fat, right? So you're eating good proteins, you're eating good fats, 
um, that initial keto flu is over, right? That first couple of weeks of getting fat adapted, headaches, mood issues is over. Then you can try adding a little bit more carbs in, maybe at night. Have a sweet potato, a little bit of white potato, a little bit of a safe starch. See if you feel better or not. If you sleep better, if you have more energy, if your workouts are better, recovery is good, that's a good sign that that's better for you. If you don't feel better, or let's say you're, you know, you're very overweight, then you probably wanna work on keeping the carbs in check longer. Again, the benefit that you have with good fats and proteins, it's hard to overeat when you're eating good fats and proteins because there's good satiation signals to your brain that tell you to be full. That's like peptide YY, adiponectin, cholecystokinin. There's really good feedback regulations. People are like, well, it's all about calories in, calories out. It's like, but not all calories tell your brain that you're full the same way. So you have to look at the, the apostatic regulation of appetite, right? And, and certain neuropeptides are gonna be produced with certain foods. You're not gonna get that same stimulation eating pizza, eating Pringles, drinking refined sugar. You're not going to get it. And that's why it's so easy to overeat those foods and you never really feel satiated. Try eating, you know, half a dozen eggs. It's with, you know, cooked in butter. It's going to be really hard to still be hungry afterwards as long as you don't eat things too fast. Where people really go awry with proteins and fats is they eat things too fast. There's about a 10 to 20 minute delay in those kind of chemicals telling you you're full. And you really have to give your body that 10 to 20 minute buffer time. So eating slower, chewing your foods up really well, not overly drinking when you uh, consume those foods, giving yourself five or 10 minutes once you finish your meal before you get seconds, that plays a big role because it's really easy to overeat with these foods when you don't give it enough time. Yeah, look at the marketing of potato chip companies. Bet you can't eat just one. They know that you're not going to get leptin and all these other uh, beneficial compounds that tell your body you're full. So the marketing companies know what they're getting into. They know you're going to eat a whole bag of chips because you're never going to get that signal that you're satiated. And that's where you get into trouble. So let's go back to the adrenals for a minute. So you mentioned running a Dutch panel, looking at low cortisol. So what you're saying is if you're going to see a flat panel or maybe just a, maybe it's not flat, maybe there is some sort of peak on the cortisol in the morning, but it's very weak. So overall, you would just say there's a low cortisol output. You're saying those people are going to tolerate intermittent fasting less. Those people are going to tolerate very low carbs less. So they may need a little more bump while they get their adrenals back on board. Is that safe If their cortisol is really low? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it just depends kind of where they're coming from, right? If they're coming from uh, being overweight, being more insulin resistant, um, being more tired, being more fatigued out of the gates, I'm always going to default to lower carb. If they're coming from already being at a reasonably healthy weight and being pretty active already, then I'm gonna to default to adding a little bit more carbs in. So it just depends upon where someone's coming from. So it's always good to look at someone's somatotype, right? Ectomorph, endomorph, mesomorph, right? Endomorphs like the, the linemen, right, in football. I mean, again, this could be like anyone, but they just have a, a larger, a higher propensity to put on weight, right? The mesomorph, or then you have the ectomorph. This is more of the natural kind of basketball player type. They're just more taller and more leaner, hard to put on muscle, hard to gain weight. And then you kind of have a blend between an ectomorph and an endomorph called the mesomorph. Think of it as, as the M for middle, right? And this is kind of more like your linebacker in football, right? And again, these are extreme examples, but it helps to kind of tell the, tell the story, right? Not everyone's a 300 pound lineman. I get that, right? But people have this propensity to put on more weight. Uh, but a mesomorph, someone that's kind of more in the middle, like they could be taller and leaner, but they also can be bigger as well. They're kind of in between. And so usually people are in one of three of these categories. And usually if you're more on the ectomorph side, you're going to be able to tolerate carbs pretty well. Um, so you have to just kind of like, you know, see kind of where, 
where you feel best. And there's a lot of people out there, like let's just say, let's people on the diet side, I'll just, I'll call Chris Kresser out, right? Chris Kresser's a ectomorph, right? Soup, you know, Paul Jaminet, ectomorph. A lot of people out there that like recommend more carbs, more higher carbs, more whole food carbs. And it's like, well, of course you're gonna recommend that because you're an ectomorph, of course, right? So you have to look at the people that are recommending certain things and look at what somatotype they are because certain somatotypes are gonna have a propensity to handle macronutrients differently than someone else. So it's good to look at that as a general template, but in the end, you gotta fine tune it. You gotta look at it. My default way of looking at because of insulin resistance is being so prone because refined and processed foods have been eaten ubiquitously you know, over the last 20. If you look at the macronutrient trends over the last 20 or 30, years, right? It's protein's gone down a little bit. Fats has actually gone down a little bit and, and actually carbs have gone up. So when you, when you look at that general trend, we can just assume out of the gates that most people are going to have carbohydrate problems, not protein and fat problems. And if they do have protein and fat problems, it's usually from junky trans fats and or junky omega-6 refined vegetable oils, not healthy animal fats. Yeah, very, very great points. And that's important for people to listen. I mean, you're hearing a clinician speak, you're hearing the clinician's brain, because as you mentioned, if you get into some of these other people that may not be practicing clinically with people, they're going to be able to give you a cookie cutter answer. And you did not, I was kind of probing you to give me some like buzzwordy, you know, like something I could post on Twitter type answer, but you gave me a clinician's answer. And I hope people appreciate that because there's a lot of variance with this. And I know it's frustrating because when you listen to a podcast, you're like, I just want to be told what to do, how to do it. Give me the spark notes. And your answer is there's not really a spark notes. There are some categories, if you will, that we can put people into. I'm definitely probably closer to ectomorph. And yep. So I do better. Like if I do a grass-fed steak and I throw some extra organic wild blueberries in with that for breakfast, I feel so much better with that extra little blueberry hit as opposed to just the steak versus, uh, let's say, my grandmother who had a high A1C score. She's going to do much better with just the steak, and she's going to go be better lower carb overall. So Exactly. So it's good to know. I'm kind of more of a mesomorph. I'm kind of in the middle. And I just, I, I look at, you know, the problems that we as society have as a whole, generally speaking, and I kind of just create my recommendations to have the largest bang for the, for the buck regarding the average person. And of course, when patients come in, then you kind of look at them. You kind of look at their height, their weight, you know, um, especially you see a lot of women, you know, in their 40s. I'm like, well, where were you in high school and college regarding your weight? Oh, I was 80 pounds lighter. Okay, so we know there's some metabolic damage there if you put on 80 pounds since that time, right? So then, then it's good to really make sure we, we support them being better fat burners. I think the next step I wanted to hit would be um, intermittent fasting. So someone in the comments here will talk about this. They talked about OMAD or one meal a day. I'm not a huge fan of OMAD. Now, people can do it if they're one, if they have pretty good adrenals, their diet's really good, and they're very metabolically flexible. Okay, and with OMAD, it's one meal a day, so you need all of the calories that you need in one day, in one meal. So number one is you're gonna be eating a meal that's like two to three times bigger than what your typical meal would be, because if you need, let's say, you know, I'm 6'2", 215 pounds, right? I need like 3,000 calories a day if, if I'm, you know, relatively active. Well, 3,000 calories is a lot of food at one meal. Okay, it's a lot of food, because you need your, your micronutrients, you need, you know, your, your amino acids, I need probably at least um, a half a gram per pound of body weight minimum for protein. So I need at least, let's say 110 grams of protein. That's a big meal. So one, you need really good digestion. You probably need over an hour to sit down and actually eat that meal if, if you're not gonna be sick because that's a lot of food to eat at one time. 
So you probably need an hour to eat it. You need really good digestion, really good enzyme and acid secretion. You need an hour to sit down and be able to handle it. And you probably can't move much for an hour afterwards because the meal's so big. It's it's the equivalent of a Thanksgiving Day dinner, right? And so you got to be careful with that. Um, I think if you're going to do... Let me just give you... Go ahead. Let me give you some numbers real quick just to show how hard what, what you're describing would be. So for example, I love bison. So if you were to do a, which this is going to be your fattiest cut, if you could do a bison ribeye, a 10 ounce bison ribeye, you're going to get roughly less than 500 calories, maybe like four something, like 450 to 480. And that's, that's 10 so ounces? So if I just did a steak... That's 10 ounces. So, I mean, God, let's say you did 20 ounces, which would be very hard for me to do a 20 ounce bison ribeye. You know, you'd be maybe close to 900 calories. Yeah. And so you'd probably need at least, you know, if, if for me, right, you'd probably want about 25 to a third of your calories coming from protein uh, right around there. And so you'd probably want about that steak would probably have to be about 20 ish, maybe a little more ounces than that. That's a lot to do at one time, and that's not including the the six to seven servings of vegetables that you may want to do with it as well. So it becomes. And then what? Yeah, I was gonna say. And then what else are you gonna do? Let's say you did like a cup of broccoli. That's like forty calories. Exactly. So you need like literally eight cups of that, or like you know six. It becomes really hard. It becomes really really tough. Yeah. So I see why you don't recommend it. So so your overall your overall message is you think maybe two meals a day you could get away with, but one meal a day you think for for this type of conversation. Yeah, it's two meals really is tough, good. Two time. meals you can do it. Um, in the morning, I mean, you may want to have like a little bit of bone broth or something very gentle on, on the liquid side. Uh, again, if you're just trying to do intermittent fasting, it's easier to do one. I don't recommend it every day, but it's easier to do like, you know, keep your eating window between 12 and eight or let's say two and eight. I think it's easier that way. It gives you enough time to have a meal at, at two o'clock, five o'clock, or let's say two, let's say two o'clock, six o'clock, and maybe a little snack before bed. If you're still hungry, you want to fill in the gap, right? So it's a little bit easier from a nutritional standpoint to get your needs met. Again, if you're having a lot of hormonal issues, I don't recommend doing a lot of fasting out of the gates. Uh, think of fasting as a stressor. It's a stressor on your body, just like exercise is a stressor. So imagine your personal trainer, someone's like super unhealthy, uh, they're out of shape, and you're like, hey, come join my CrossFit class tomorrow. I'm 100 pounds overweight, come, come to CrossFit. It's like, well, you know with their weight being where they're at and how inflamed they're at, they're going to be like literally in bed the next week with sore joints, sore back, totally hurt. So you have to make a recommendation based on what's best for them. So you may say, hey, let's just do like a 10-minute walk tomorrow, right? Let's do a 20-minute walk. Let's say a five-minute walk after every meal. That may be a better recommendation, right? So think of like the OMAD or like a lot of this intermittent fasting. That's the equivalent of jumping a very overweight, unhealthy person into CrossFit. It's the equivalent. It's still a stressor on the body. Now, if you're healthy, guess what? It's a stressor that you can adapt from and get and get stronger. But if you're not healthy, that stressor is going to break you. And so you kind of have to know that, hey, this is an application of stress. And the, the question becomes, does your physiology have the ability to adapt to that stress based on where you're at now? And for most people that are that we see clinically, no, that's not going to be the case. And I always rather... Yeah, this is the... Yep. Go ahead. I always rather undershoot it. I, I rather undershoot it, have that person feeling better, less sore, less tired, and, 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 kind of, and kind of gauge up, then overshoot it and make them feel worse. Yeah, well said. So this is the anti-boot camp podcast. You see those boot yes. camp signs? It's like, they'll just come in and they'll just kick your ass on day one. 
I mean, they don't care. You're 300 pounds, five foot tall, 300 pounds, haven't walked a mile in 10 years, and they'll just come in and throw you down. Give me 50. And the music, yeah, boom, if, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, if, if your life, if you can come home and just like recline back and chill and read and watch TV or just hang out all day and you're not doing much, okay, fine. But most people have like, have to work. They have to you know do things. They have to do chores. They have kids and family and responsibility to take care of. So it's like their life can't revolve around that, right? Yeah. So obviously with a TV show and that's what their life is, you know, you can get away with stuff when that's what all your focus is. But for most people, you know, that's not the reality that we're in. Yeah. And if you want to go another direction with this, please do. But I just wanted to bring up one question here that came in the live chat. And for people listening, if you want to join us at the time of this recording, maybe we change the schedule. But for now, we go live every Monday somewhere around 11 a.m. Eastern on Dr. J's Justin Health YouTube channel. So if you want to check them out, that's how you can join us in the live chat. Question here, does sugar or caffeine affect, I think they meant effect, uh, does sugar or caffeine weaken the adrenals the most? I don't know if they're saying like either one. I, I would say both are a factor in people going to Starbucks and getting their dessert in a cup, which they call coffee. That sugar-caffeine yeah. combo, I would say, is a, is a super big issue with hypoglycemia and adrenal stress. What would you say? I think it depends. If someone's doing a cup of coffee or two in the morning and they're consuming it with some fat and some protein, like maybe they're throwing some collagen and MCT oil in there, that tends to time release the caffeine, tends to not be as big of a deal because the caffeine's going to be out of their system you know, by the time they go to bed. Uh, so if they're doing a cup or two, as long as they are not getting anxious, anxious or irritable or moody or um, any of those negative symptoms afterwards, I'm okay with a little bit of caffeine. Again, if you're on the fence, just pull it out or, or choose something that's more decaffeinated. Choose a coffee substitute like Ticino or do a decaf chamomile or decaf green tea. See if you feel better. If you don't notice a difference where you're not feeling worse with caffeine, a little bit's okay. And if you want to time release it, a little bit of fat in there and a little bit of uh, collagen will time release it and just do it in the you know in that first hour or two of getting up. Don't do it in the afternoon hours. It's people that get in trouble are the ones that do it usually after lunch and they're trying to get that second win between three and five and then it's it's causing a second cortisol surge at night because that caffeine's still in their system around 10, 10 to 11 o'clock at night. So what you mentioned is good, but your average person's not doing what you're you're doing. They're wrapped around the Starbucks drive through They're going to go get a venti caramel frappuccino with freaking whipped cream and six pumps of syrup and all that. Yeah, so what we're talking about is zero sugar in the coffee. We're talking totally black with the exception of maybe some MCT or or a heavy coconut cream or if, if you can handle dairy, maybe a heavy whipping cream, some kind of a good fat in there that you can tolerate. Maybe a, maybe it's just MCT oil. Maybe it's some collagen as well because that time releases it and uh, really allows it to go in your system slow. Someone on the chat talked about using glucose and sugar to keep their blood sugar stable throughout the day. Like that's literally like going camping and keeping your fire going all day with paper and kindling. It's just, it's not practical because you're never gonna get keto adapted. You're never gonna become a fat burner when you're literally relying on glucose to keep your blood sugar stable all day. That's the problem. And that's like, you know, physiologically the antithesis of health. Because to really be healthy, you really want to be fat adapted. So you can help burn, help get energy from fat. It's the most stable energy source that's not going to require up and down dips. So the equivalent of that is getting energy from logs in a campfire, which burn a lot longer and stronger than, let's say, kindling a paper. So you just have to look and say, if I'm camping, the goal is I want to really get my heat from those good logs, not kindling or paper, because I don't have to be feeding it all day long. That's the difference. Yeah, and, and some of this biochemical talk, people may just like tune out and like 
turn into a zombie. So if you're listening to this, you're like, well, how does this actually change how I'm getting through my day? So that example that Justin's mentioning with the really good fatty coffee versus the really sugary coffee. So this is the person who like, I know you'll do fatty coffees like during our podcast. So you're going to be burning clean and you're going to have a good energy burn throughout the entire morning versus the person doing the sugary caffeine. They're going to crash two hours later and then they're going to go for maybe as this person mentioned in the comments or they're going to go for fruit or fruit juices or something else. They're going to get that quick hit of kindling again and then they're going to crash. So when you're at work, you're not going to be performing at your best. I mean, if I were... Uh, in charge of like a massive company and I had the ability to give people support, I would say, hey, look, everybody can do a nutritionist console. Let's say you had like a warehouse worker and we found that the output of the warehouse workers were 20% more efficient if we all had them on more animal-based higher fat diets, as opposed to these people, you know, when I used to work at UPS to pay for my college, you'd have these guys who on a four or five hour shift, they'd pull out two, three candy bars just to get through the shift. And here I was eating just my grass fed ground beef before I went in and I was stable the whole time. These guys could work for an hour and they got to go do a bag of chips. They go to the vending machine, get the Coke, and then they go do the Cheetos. I mean, it was literally, it was crazy to watch. Yeah, exactly. And there's going to be a lot of people out there. And this is why I talk about the somatotype. The people that you're going to see breaking all the rules that I'm saying, these are going to be the vegan, vegetarians, the high carbers. And when you're an ectomorph, you can handle lots of carbs. Your body has the ability to take those carbs, shunt it in, burn it right away. And then these are the people that get energized with more carbs. Like if I, if I give you a glass of orange juice and a bunch of carbs, these are the people that want to go out and literally run a marathon because their body handles carbs and it just fuels them up and makes them so energized. And so we all have vegan vegetarian friends that just literally eat carbs all day, right? You know, you see the fruititarians that are out there. This is a big thing, uh, I think in the the 80s at Apple, there was a big like fruititarian cult, they all ate fruit. It was like unbelievable. And you see people that are energized, energized. These are ectomorphs. These are people that can handle that. I still don't think it's healthy. I think think there's long-term ramifications with insulin and oxidative stress, but People can do that based on kind of their natural genetic somatotype and how they can handle fuel. Most people aren't in that place. And so you kind of have to really look at getting good proteins and fats in there and manage your blood sugar accordingly. And so the only other thing I wanted to highlight was, oh yeah, let's say let's say you're doing a, a fast, like a, a two-day, a three-day fast. If it's a punctuated fast and most people on a fast, they're, they're keeping their stress down. They're not gonna go work 12 hours a day and deal with stress because when you're fasting, you're not getting nutrients in your body via vegetables or fruit or protein. So you're relying on primarily your fat for fuel and obviously protein. You're doing what's called cellular autophagy where you're recycling proteins and ideally you're recycling some of those, you're getting some of those for fuel. You're also getting a big bump of adrenaline and cortisol for those couple of days so you may feel pretty good and pretty alert if your adrenals are strong. And then of course you're, you know, you're getting a lot of the fat because you're tapping into fat. But long term that's not good, right? Because we know any person that's been on a long-term starvation-like diet, you know, you just look at people in uh, World War II post-concentration camps that were starved. Like no one walks out of that healthy, right? It's impossible. But for a short two to three or four-day period, you definitely can. Uh, and the key is you have to keep your stress down and under control. Maybe do some bone broth or do some minerals as well to keep your minerals and your electrolytes up. But most people, that will still be the equivalent of a CrossFit workout. And if they're metabolically unflexible, that could break them as well. Yeah, well said. Another question here. I have a friend that lives in mold and is super stressed. How does mold affect the adrenals? Well, it's a huge cause of adrenal issues, mainly because 
it's creating this alert response. It's creating a sympathetic stress. The body's trying to react to it. Hopefully the body's reacting to it, meaning that there is some sort of immune response and maybe there's some antibodies that come in. Maybe there's some detox pathways that are ramping up. So hopefully your body has a reaction, but it's a huge adrenal stress. And I would say even if they're not living in mold and you just have mycotoxins in your system, that can be an adrenal stressor too. I know for me, I had a lot more baseline anxiety when I had just mycotoxins in my system and I wasn't being exposed to mold. My wife experienced the same thing. So we were doing adaptogenic herbs to help regulate the adrenals. But once we've detoxed quite a bit using binders, and we've done many podcasts on that, my baseline anxiety is back to the way it was before, which was I didn't have baseline anxiety. So yeah, I can tell you firsthand, it, it's a big, big factor. Yeah. I mean, the first thing we have to do if we have issues with mold is you, one, you got to get your environment more stabilized uh, make sure you're able to, to digest and break down foods and get good proteins and good fats in there. Also on the flip side, right? I've talked about you know some of the fasting benefits and stories. We have a lot of we have a large group of people out there that are carnivores. Like they literally just eat meat all day long and they do amazing, right? And so like you have to look at both sides of the camp because there's success stories on both sides of the camp. And so you have to understand why someone may have a success story over here. And, and, and not over there, or why someone over here has one but not over there. You have to look at it in a kind of non-dogmatic type of, of mindset, right? People kind of have their camp and say, well, this person over here has to be lying. It's like, well, probably not. And you know, we've seen thousands of patients, so I, I've been able to kind of understand why certain people on the, the high carb get great success and why people on the extreme low carb and why somewhere in between tends to be the biggest bang for your buck, right? And, and then who are those people? That way you can make recommendations and push people to either direction so they can get better results. Because it's like you're either, you either have, um, like my allegiance is to getting the patient the best result, not to using a tool to get them to the result. I put enough tools in my tool belt so I can be non-attached to the tool because I want the result to get happen for the patient. Some people are really, they're really attached to the tool and they want this tool to be what gets them the result. And you really have to, as a patient, find doctors that are unattached to the tool. They really just want to get you the result that you're looking for. Yeah, well said. And you know, me being an ectomorph, you would think I wouldn't do well with just tons of meats and fats, but I do great really low carb. And uh, there is some discussion of mold and fungal infections and candida overgrowth and SIBO and SIFO and some of these things that people will do better. And I definitely had a history of a lot of gut issues. So I think for me, that's part of the reason I do so well low carb as an ectomorph, but I certainly feel fine on starch and white rice and berries and and all of that. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lucky, I guess. I think it's, it's a blessing to be able to do both. It's a blessing for me to have a grass-fed steak with just blueberries for breakfast and feel fine all day. But it'd also be cool to do some rice with some dinner and have no issues with it also. Yeah, you have enough of a solid foundation with your proteins and your fats and your nutrient density um, where those, those little bit of carbs is, is not going to be enough. It's kind of like you have a fire going, you have a good log already in there. If you throw a little bit of kindling extra in the fire, it's, it, the fire is still going to be there, right? It's still going to be strong. And so that's kind of where you're at. And um, the more metabolically flexible you get, you know, but in the end, you got to listen to your body, right? We got, we got to be, be data results driven, not, not dogma driven. And uh, if you feel great doing something, and you know your nutrient density is up and, you're, and you're, you feel good and you feel energized and you feel flexible and you don't feel inflamed, that's really important. Here's what I recommend. This podcast is brought to you by Daybook. No, it's not actually brought to you by Daybook. But Daybook's a cool app that I have on my phone and I love it because, I'll pull it up real quick. I love it. I wish I could share my screen on my phone somehow. But anyway, I love because I can just scroll through it. So people on audio, you're not going to see this at all and I apologize. But anyway, 
it's cool because you can look at it and and you can go May 27th, May 25th, May 23rd, and you could just scroll through and you could be like, oh, look, on May 3rd, I wrote here that I did a grass-fed steak and a big old bowl of white rice and my blood sugar crashed. So it's fun to be able to report back. I know there's a million apps out there, but that's just one that I like because I like to be able to hit the plus button, start new notes, do voice to text, whatever I can, and then boom, I can look back and I'll just be like, oh, here, here's where I messed up. And so I think people have to track this. You're mentioning that listening to your body, if you're busy, you got kids, you got a job. It, it's tough to know, oh crap, what day was that that I did the rice and then I did the grain-free this and the gluten-free cookie or whatever. If you can track it in the app, you can report back. So pick an app, but that's the one I like. I like that. Also, just for my autoimmune patients listening, I see a lot of patients that have thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, other autoimmune issues. Blood sugar fluctuations, high to low, can definitely increase immune activation. I have a couple of studies here. I'll just kind of give you all the overview just so the take-homes, what sticks. One study right here talking about the effects of hypoglycemia on an inflammatory response. Uh, another one here, the effects of induced hypoglycemia on inflammation and oxidative stress with patients that have type 2 diabetes, that they made diet changes where they restricted um, calories and gave them metformin to cause low blood sugar levels. And, and it, they saw an increase in immune response. They saw an increase in uh, monocytes and platelet aggregation, a whole bunch of things, right? And so, you know, we're talking about inducing low blood sugar in, in a, um, and this could, again, I don't have a study on this directly, but we could do this with a bad diet, with hypoglycemia from a reactive hypoglycemic diet, like someone consuming a Starbucks uh, macchiato with extra pumps of caramel in there, and, and you create a low blood sugar response that way, you're going to activate interleukins, cytoclines, monocytes, immune responses that are, are not going to be helpful and may even flare up your autoimmunity. And so the more you can snake your blood sugar along throughout the day through, with good proteins, good fats, and the right amount of carbs for you and your activity level versus up and down swings, the better it will be. We, we know the data on, on low blood sugar and the immune response is profound. And people that have autoimmune issues, you really have to work on that yeah, right here. Although the underlying mechanism remains unclear, increased inflammatory cytokines and leukocytosis are reported after hypoglycemia, suggesting a link between hypoglycemia and inflammation. And again, this hypoglycemia will be a little bit different than, let's say, intermittent fasting hypoglycemia. But the faster your blood sugar drops, right, the more inflammation, the more your body is going to create a hormone response that's not going to be helpful. Makes total sense. Here's a lady, Grace, uh, left a comment for us. She said she used to do one meal a day and two meals a day, and it felt like a badge of honor when I could fast for longer, but I realized it was stressing me out and not optimal for digestion. Probably meaning saying she's not optimal for dig digestion, probably because Too much was, food at one meal. Yeah, it's just too much. Too much at one meal. So, you know, if you do that, you know, I think you come at it a couple days a week. Make sure you're relatively healthy. Make sure you take some extra HCL or enzymes. Make sure you carve out a little more time to eat that meal so you're not stressed. Also, just, just go and run your food through a chronometer. Like, if you're getting two meals a day, you know, go go carve out what that meal has to look like. You're going to find it's about 50% bigger on average. And um, that's just a lot more food and a lot more time. And you, you got to make sure you're not stressed because we all know what happens when you eat a big meal and then you're stressed. You feel even worse. You feel totally weighed down. You feel nauseous. And then your next meal, you don't even want to eat it because you're still just upset. So 
Yep. Well, I think we hit today really good. I would just say, like, understand the connection between cortisol, adrenaline, your immune system, why some people get great results doing different diets than other people, right? Read between the lines. Be results-driven, not dogma, tool, modality-driven. It's really important, right? Um, check your biases at the door. Outside of that, I hope this podcast resonates with different folks. If you want to reach out and you want to get individualized help from Evan or I, evanbrand.com, you can reach out to Evan. Uh, Dr. J here, justinhealth.com. You'll see schedule links. We're happy to work with patients worldwide. You know, we are in the trenches rolled, with our sleeves rolled up, dealing with people every single day. So we're here to help. Outside of that, if you enjoy the content, put your comments below. Let us know what you like the best and please share with family and friends that could benefit. It really helps propel kind of our, our life's mission to help more people every day. Appreciate it. Anything else, Evan? No, that's it. Take good care. And yeah, leave us a review on your Apple podcast app. We'd love it if you're on Justin Hell's show or if you're on my show, Evan Brain Show. Give us a review. We'd love to see what stars you think the show deserves. We've got hundreds and hundreds of five stars. We'd love to add to it. That helps us in the ranking so more people can hear us. So Thank you so much in advance and take good care of yourself. We'll put links as well for everyone for the recommended products that we talked about, collagen, amino acids, different nutrients for blood sugar and adrenal health. We'll put the links down below. So if you guys want to support us, feel free and you can procure that there. Have a good one, y'all. Bye now. Take care now. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As I mentioned in the beginning, check out my adaptogen tonic. That is probably the best-selling adrenal formula that we have. We use amazing professional supplement manufacturers. The quality is unmatched. You just can't get a consumer-grade product, especially a product like on Amazon for adrenals, for example. It's not going to touch the quality of what we're using. The companies we work with only provide nutrients and products for healthcare providers and people like me. So this is awesome. It's good stuff. I take it. My wife takes it. We do great. Our whole family takes it. Well, as many many that will listen to me. Not everybody listens to me. You would think like my family is like the ultimate, like drink the Kool-Aid kind of people. No, not at all. I mean, even some people in my family, they're going and getting the injection. Are you out of your mind? Oh my God. Oh, well. Can't save everyone, right? That's a whole nother can of worms. Make sure you're on my email list because if I get censored, I'd like to still be able to be in contact with you. So evanbrand.com, go to the bottom there. You'll see the join the best functional medicine tribe box. You can do this on your phone. Just put your email in there. I'll have you on my list. I would love to be able to keep in touch with you if I do get deleted off these other platforms. But in the meantime too, check me out on my Instagram page, MR, like Mr. Evan Brand. I'm on Instagram. Go follow me there. I would love to have you participate. I do polls. I do Q&As. I do all sorts of stuff there, things that I do in between. I share a lot of different posts. I share memes, different things I think that you will enjoy. So go check it out on Instagram while I'm still there. And if you need help clinically, please reach out, evanbrand.com slash free. That's the link. You can book a free call. Megan Gump will call you. She's my functional medicine practitioner on staff. She's amazing. She will help you and we'll get to the bottom of your, your issue. So please reach out and look forward to catching up with you next week. Take care now. Bye.